Now, welcome to Hat Trick. I am Jordan Ellicolt, and I am joined by Braden Ellicolt. We have a special guest joining us this week, Larissa Campbell. The original mother, Tucker, is with us, and Elliot is off. Elliot's away. He's working on other things, and he will be back with us shortly. Uh, if we sound like we've fallen down a well, it's only because uh, Larissa and I are currently um, commuting home from Christine Sinclair Place, uh, formerly known as BC Place, and I guess tomorrow it'll be back to being BC Place. But we were able to be in pre- in the building to witness the final match of Canada's greatest soccer player, the world's greatest female soccer player, the world's greatest scoring soccer player, and it was special to be there. We'll talk about that in a second. Before we do, really quickly, Brace, yeah. have to ask, uh, as someone who watched a little bit of it at home, um, I know what it felt like in the building, but, you know, like just the energy on TV, was it something you were excited to watch or something that you were uh, looking forward to? Um, it's It was novel. I don't know if I got the same um, uh, excitement watching it on TV as I'm sure the fans in the, in the arena felt. I think that it, it's a very special moment, but I'm not sure that it was probably um, as well received on television. All right, well, let's get to it then. That'll be topic one. Okay, so, Larice, we were there for you. I think, you know, you have a different relationship than Brayden and I do to this team. You've met most of them. They stayed at a hotel you worked at, what, like a decade over over a decade ago. You got to know some of them. We were there for the World Cup when it was here in Vancouver, yep. qualifying for the London Olympics. I remember watching them be absolutely robbed during the London Olympics by the refereeing. And we've been through all of those experiences. I remember getting up, I believe it was 2 a.m. to watch them win a gold medal in Tokyo. For you, you know, as this chapter closes on Christine Sinclair's career, uh, what was it like being there for yourself? And 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 what is this story, books, or the ending to the story for you? I think it's just the beginning to the story. And that's the story of women's soccer, professional women's soccer coming to Canada and um, Canadian soccer being on the map, and uh, and so I think it's just the beginning of her story, or the beginning of the story that she has uh, wrote the first chapter or first few chapters up. Um, but personally for me, um, it's just uh, it was a really special night. Uh, I thought you were gonna have a camera on me for cry watch because I cried a few times um, just seeing her not be able to get through the Canadian national anthem without being completely overwhelmed with emotion um, brought me to to tears. Um, but just thrilled for her and for what comes next. But more importantly, just thrilled for Canada and what it means for young people, not just young girls or those who identify as female, but um, for anyone who loves the game, um, the beautiful game. And yeah, I'm just I was so thrilled to be there tonight, but, you know, I'll never forget getting up at 2 or 3 in the morning um, for Tokyo. I remember being in my little tiny studio apartment for London and watching on a laptop because I didn't have cable TV and just feeling so angry for them and seeing all of her her great moments um, and the moments she has celebrated. Um, and we've been able to celebrate with her, but it was fantastic. So I'm really excited to see what comes next for her. So, Brayden, obviously, you, you mentioned in the intro there what it was like on TV. I'm curious what your memories of Christine Sinclair are. They stretch back as far as myself to watching the, I think it was a U19 tournament. She played at Commonwealth. It was kind of like the coming out party for this young woman who would be 
sort of queen and it, we didn't yet know quite what the story was going to be, but you knew something special was happening and you were watching a special athlete. Do you remember that? Or what are your other memories of uh, women's soccer in this country led by Miss Sinclair? Well, I think the biggest, the, uh, the biggest impact would be those, uh, the Olympic, the, the games, like that's kind of where she, she was sort of the face of uh, summer Olympics, I think for, for all of Canada for quite, I mean, yeah, like you said, as long as she's played internationally, the irony and sort of the idea that it's retirement, although yes, for international play, she still is, you know, quite capable of continuing to play. And I think she intends to play another season professionally, um it, yeah she i mean a storied career i i do think that she is uh and will con- and, and will always go down as uh one of the greatest canadian athletes uh to ever play um so uh yeah in terms of in terms of memories just i think i think every every time she steps out on the field there's there's memories made with uh with just how how impressive she is on the pitch i will just really quickly suggest that I, I know, Brayden, you kind of said you didn't think it was great on TV. I would say I think that the actual, like, ceremony, pregame, the presentation in the building, I would say was lacking a little bit of the, like, um, just the presentation element of it. It was like, I don't know. I felt like they could have done more. It, it, you know, these kind of events always remind me of, like, Gretzky's last game, Madison Square Garden, you know, uh, final send-offs, the guys like Derek Cheater or um, – players that just have been with a team for such a long time that they all that those are often the ones that have the most emotion attached to them when they know it's the final game like Kobe's final games and and you know when, when you've got a player like this yeah. who's kind of on the farewell tour let's yeah. say yeah. where we already know ahead of time this is going to be it it's all kind of lined up for this and of course it's not just her we have Sophie Schmidt retiring this played almost as long uh profe- or, uh internationally and and you know, a lot of those matches right there uh, on on the wing with Christine Sinclair and all of a lot of Christine Sinclair's biggest game moments. She's out there with her. Uh, the same for McLeod, who officially retired. She hasn't played for the national team in, in, in a few years, but she technically was still an active member of it and now is retired as well. So we had multiple players retiring alongside the greatest of all time. And, and it just felt a little bit like there. I felt they could have done a little bit more in terms of the actual presentation of it. But at the same time, there was an understated nature to it that somehow felt fitting considering the understated nature of the person they were honoring. She, much like um, other, you know, elite, elite athletes, seems to be able to um, kind of keep uh, the private part of herself um, private and She's been very successful in that. It's similar, I, I would argue, to the way that Connor McDavid is not a very outspoken and loud, brash person. He, he's very calculated with the media. He knows how to whether he's been trained that way or not. But Gretzky was the same way, and uh, and so there's something there's something kind of poetic about it being a slightly understated finale. And but she played well. You know, she was all over the place. And every time the ball came anywhere near that forty. 8,000 people in the building certainly, you know, rose and got the, the energy was there for them. And of course they were able to get the one nil win. I guess you kind of touched on this break, just to wrap this topic up though, for you, like where does she sit in the greatest of all time conversation, uh, whether it's nationally, I mean, obviously the accolades in women's soccer are unmatched, so we don't have to go there. But for you, like you think about the other great Canadian athletes, where does she fit there for you? 
Uh, well, I, th I think issues at the top, when you think about uh, dominance in the particular sport, there's so many names you can, I mean, everyone's going to name Gretzky, but then there's going to be a handful of names that you can name right after that, that played that sport, the greatest of their potential. And I, yeah, there's, there's some, there's some really great soccer players, female soccer player, men's soccer players in Canada. But I mean, Christine Seclair is, is the mountain. There's no Rushmore of players that I think stack up. Um, when it comes to greatest of all time in that individual sport. All right, I'll give you the last word on this topic, Maurice. Final thoughts as that chapter closes. And, and I guess maybe what is the legacy? I mean, it's easy to sort of say, well, you know, she's, she's inspired a whole bunch of athletes, a bunch of young women, a bunch of young boys for maybe, she, you know, and as Braden said, you know, Canadian soccer, it is, I mean, that torch passes a little bit, I suppose, to someone like Alfonso Davies, but not in the same way, not with the same legacy. I mean, 3,000, or pardon me, 330 uh, Canadian matches, yeah, uh, I think with 100, yeah. 190 goals or something goals. Uh, yeah. in the Canadian sweater, like, you can't really touch those things, but for from your perspective, what is the lasting legacy of Chris Sinclair's career? Uh, team first, humble, proud to be Canadian, proud to um, sort of bang down some walls for people coming behind her, and and then that Olympic gold and, and, and capping her career off with that. We always talk about, you know, the golden goal. Well, there's a lot of young women who will remember the day she finally got her gold medal and i think that that'll be a memory for a lot of us that's actually so Great. true right. i want to jump on that actually because i think unlike the golden goal and Sidney crosby i don't think people are going to think about Sidney crosby as one of the greatest uh international players of all time like he 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 made an important thing happen there at the olympics but christine sinclair is the epitome of international uh sport okay. i think especially in canada yeah agreed. you know well like, like larry said that 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 ability to feel pride and feel a sense of um, uh, community around your country, I think is what she was able to do so well. 100%. Well, it was an honor to be in the building to witness the, the final um, minutes of her career. And of course, as you said, Brayden, she's not done. I'm sure that the next chapters, whether that continues to be her professional career and when that eventually comes to a close, whatever she's doing next will always be something exciting because this is a woman who has not done nothing but excellence through her entire career to that to the, this point, whether it's she goes into broadcasting or she continues to push for the professional women's league in, in Canada or whatever the next steps are. I'm sure that we will all be um, proud of whatever her legacy is, whatever her next steps are. Uh, let's leave it there. That's top one. Hey, podcast listeners, my name is Larise Campbell, and along with my co-host, former Olympic bobsledder, Alicia Olson, I am so excited to introduce you to the Mother Pucka podcast, and if you love the Oilers like we do, you are going to love our show. It's just two gals who aren't afraid to drop the gloves and throw some hot takes about the boys in blue and orange. Whether you're a massive hockey fan like us, or just looking for some new voices talking about the Oilers' blue line, or lack thereof, we promise the show is for you. So subscribe now and tell your friends. It's time for the Mother Pucker Podcast. All right. Let's talk baseball. Again, I'm a little bit confused why we're talking baseball in December, except that it seems to be uh, a story. Now, the last, the last time, yeah, the last time we spoke, um, there were rumors 
uh, that the Toronto Blue Jays might be one of the few teams actually sort of in the hunt for Shohei Otani, who of course is the unicorn right now in Major League Baseball, the pitching, hitting uh, phenom out of Japan who's played uh, the first part of his professional career in Anaheim. Um, but of course, he is the biggest free agent probably in the history of baseball. And it sounds like the Blue Jays met with him um, over the week. It sounds like he's now met also with the Dodgers. We know there are definitely going to be a couple contenders in on this. And the biggest question mark, it seems, and correct me if I'm wrong on this one, Braden, but it seems like the biggest challenge is this is an incredibly private athlete who very little about his sort of wants and desires outside of obviously, you know, wanting to be paid fairly for the talent that he possesses seems to be, it seems to not be very clear on what his ambitions are. Does he need to be on a contender immediately? Does he want to be in a place that's a comfortable place to live? Does he, all of those question marks seem to still be swirling. And obviously we've also heard that his camp wants to keep this whole negotiating thing quite under wraps and not want it to turn into a media circus. Inevitably it has, because again, we're talking about such a great athlete. But the second part of this conversation is that the Blue Jays now also appear to be in as one of the potential trade partners for the San Diego Padres and Juan Soto. And so we are talking about the biggest trade talk to target and the biggest free agent uh, on the market. And the Blue Jays appear, at least, to be in on both of them uh, and to be, to be contending for both of them. So as a Blue Jays fan, right, I will give you the floor first. Where are you on the level of expectation? And moreover, realistically, because this is what we talked about last week, how do you see this shaking out? <laughs> How do I see it shaking out? How do I want it to shake out? Yeah, fine. Maybe both. <laughs> well, yeah. I think we know how you want it to shake out. <laughs> <laughs> the Blue Jays to get everybody that they ever chase. Yeah, exactly. The Blue Jays are notorious, <laughs> though. Notorious for chasing the biggest names in the last couple of years. And it's no... You know, there's no secret as to why they're 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 on the tipping point. They have a a wealth of young, uh, capable players that are just about to reach their full potential. Um, so bolstering that with some of the better and already um, superstar powers in the league, I think, is uh, what every team wants to do. And I think that the Blue Jays have, uh, you know, all of the assets to make something like this happen. We talked last week about Otani and the pipe dream that it is. I think still moving forward, it is one of the most enticing opportunities for a player like this. Um, regardless of where he signs, this is one of the best things to ever happen to Major League Baseball. Um, marketing, uh, media attention, um, like this is going to be a huge shakeup. And if that happens where Otani, wherever he goes, that isn't the Angels... Uh, it's going to be huge and it's going to be and it's going to end up having a lot of dominoes fall. Like you say, Soto, I think if the Blue Jays don't land Otani, uh, I think Soto will be, you know, very, very, very good opportunity for them to make uh, happen. We know that Alec Manoa had a really sh shitty year last year, but he is a proven top 10 pitcher in the league. Padres have already indicated that that's something that they're looking for. Uh, so there's some, there's some really, really great opportunities. I think that are presenting, uh, for the blue Jays this off season that they haven't seen before. And hopefully that they're able to, you know, find some success in that. I still do think regardless if it's Otani or Soto or anybody, 
I think Matt Chapman has to be one of the first um, and major priorities uh, returning to the turning to the lineup next year. Well, I guess that's the question. Is it like if it, correct me if I'm wrong, but it, it would it would appear that like the cork is kind of in the bottle here, being prepared, and once Otani's decision is made, then there are there is sort of a cascade of next players that will very quickly come off the board here. I mean, the Blue Jays are either going to have to pivot to the Juan Soto thing, or the Juan Soto thing is obviously the, like part of the Otani deal, where it's kind of like you want both, ideally. But it feels to me like everything kind of hinges here first on on one player, because as you say, they've got other priorities or other pieces that they still have to find, but you can't do that until the biggest chip has kind yeah. of been played. Is that yeah. fair? Oh, absolutely, and Otani's going to demand half a billion dollars. So it's yeah, it's how can how can the Blue Jays afford it? I don't really know all the dollars. That baseball so doesn't great. have uh, salary caps, so they have the ability to go into oh. basically as much money, which is why we see the Los Angeles Dodgers uh, continue to exercise their opportunities that are that. They're like it's a problem. Them. It's a problem. We oh, saw it in the, yeah, the NHL did. and the NBA well before the salary cap where these larger markets were just kind of monopolizing some of these players. Uh so so to and and I guess this is the thing. Pipe dream, yeah, I would love to see Otani wear the blue. Um and uh well, he may wear blue either way, Brad. <laughs> blue and white with a little bit of red. Uh, I don't know. I don't know if it's pot. I don't know if it'll happen, but I will say if it were to happen, I think it would be, it would probably go down as one of, one of the greatest um, moments in Canadian sports history. This, that we're, we talked about Christine Sinclair and the, and the, you know, the, the massive legacy that she has uh, left behind in her sport. Otani is, is he is, he is, he is doing things that people have never seen before. And you can compare him to Babe Ruth, but that was a completely different game too. So just just what what Shohei Otani is able to do in 2023 with the sport of baseball is absolutely unreal. All right. Well, I guess we will continue to watch and see. Uh, when do you think the answer will come? What is and the event you get from yeah, this week? This week, I mean, I think it, it's I, it's been I'm impressed how how much the camp has said hey, we don't we don't want anyone talking about this or else it it will have major ramifications on whatever deal we make. And that's a that's a I mean, it's a really it's a it's a clever idea by his team to to just ensure that people are people are serious about this. And I th I think though, with that said, I don't think they're going to want to wait. Uh, I think he show his has or it continues to meet with the teams that he's uh, considering and, and he'll make a decision quite quickly. I, I, I wouldn't be surprised if we, did, we had an answer this week and we start seeing right. some of the biggest uh, jersey sales in all of MLB history. <laughs> Fingers and toes crossed for Blue Jays fans. There you go. All right, that's the topic. Hey, football fans, the Ordinary Podcasting Network is very excited to welcome back for its second season. Running Down the Clock, presented by Puya Ricey and Tyler Walzak. These two football fans will sit down with you every Thursday of the NFL schedule to talk football. You can subscribe to Running Down the Clock anywhere you get your podcast. Okay, well, we've been kind of hit and miss for the last couple of weeks. So there's obviously a bunch of stories we haven't really been able to address. So here for Topic 3, we're going to do a really quick uh, sort of round the sports world roundup. We did this a couple of weeks back with Elliot and you. 
uh, Braden, and, and now Larissa with us. So you also, Larissa, haven't had a show this week. Um, I know there hasn't been any NHL or Oiler hockey to talk no about hockey, on the Mother Pucker podcast. So you guys have been off for the week. Yeah. So this is a good opportunity for us to get in on a few different topics. So the way this works, um, I'll, I'll go through a couple sports stories, tee up a couple things, and you just give us your, your hottest take on what's been going down, okay? So let's start with this. Obviously, we don't talk a lot on this show, Braden, about college football, but a lot of controversy following the uh, announcement of the, of the four teams that were going to make the playoffs. Um, for the college football championship uh, in the NCAA. The big controversy being that um, a one-loss Alabama makes it in to face Michigan over a unbeaten Florida State. Um, and a big question mark around that, is this the Alabama prestige you know, argument? Why are, why are they getting special treatment over, again, a team that was undefeated against perhaps arguably maybe some different levels of opponent, but it shows you sort of the flaws in how the entire uh, selection committee structure is built. I know we don't talk about it a lot, but I wonder for you, Braden, um, is this a big deal or are people just blowing this out of uh, perspective here and, and should we really be caring as much as people seem to be? Yeah, people are caring way too much about this. However, it is a religion in the States, that college football. I don't know. They had to. It, it's like what I said about last week with Shohei. Uh, somebody's got to sign him, and in this case, uh, somebody has to play uh, Michigan. And so, <laughs> I don't know. Giddy, I'm I'm excited for them. I I don't I don't think they. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> I mean, the state of Florida under uh, you know uh, what's his name Ron DeSantis is considering suing the NCAA. What? <laughs> what the hell? Again, is this just, you know, like a, uh, you know, football run amok? No, yeah. you know, I'm going to be contrarian here. It's not football run amok. I, I don't think Florida deserves my things. I don't think anybody that votes <laughs> like, in Ron DeSantis deserves my thing. But I will say that those young players who they're like, this is their chance to be seen. This is their chance to make a mark. Like, I feel freaking bad for them. And do I think suing the NCAA is the right answer? No, but that's Florida for you. Um, however, I do think that that team, that coaching staff, all the people who put in those hours have every right to be friggin' upset right now. All right. Let's leave that one alone. We'll go to another one that was a pretty controversial hot topic one for us now. We don't need to deal specifically with the allegations or the, 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 the they're not allegations, but I apologize for saying it that way. They, the rumors that followed the uh, Corey Perry uh, termination in Chicago, contract terminated after, um, again, a situation that was not, has not been um, reported on the specifics of, but appears to be some type of misconduct, um, some type of, a situation involving uh, members of the team staff uh, well on a road trip, but the the innuendo and the just absolutely disgusting rumors that followed this on first sort of hockey Twitter and then just snowballed into just an absolute firestorm surrounding, uh, you know, again, a team that we have talked a lot on this show about in terms of mismanaging and making incredibly um, – poor decisions when it came to dealing with serious allegations in the past, um, makes the decision to terminate this contract, but they, they again, still leave so much of it murky. 
I guess the question is this, Larissa. What does this point to in terms of sort of where we're at with both the like online hockey culture and sort of the toxicity that surrounds that, but equally in terms of the transparency that's necessary to protect, you know, the innocent people that got swept up in this whole story? Oh, gosh. Another team, the Chicago Blackhawks, who don't deserve nice things. My goodness. Um, I think is I will Corey say Perry that. Is a nice thing? Uh, no, but Connor Bedard is. Connor Bedard is. <laughs> Unfortunately, Connor Bedard's family got caught in the crosshairs of something really nasty. Obviously, we all know online hockey, online fandom for anything is toxic. We know that. And and yes, in the beginning, you could have a laugh when, when the rumors were sort of starting out because it seems so um, extreme or so silly. And then we come to learn, know that Corey Perry has been let go and Connor's contract has been terminated for some behavior under the influence. I hope that Corey Perry seeks the help that he requires in order to fight the demons he is working through. However, I think that the Blackhawks did a shit poor job after everything that they have done or has happened in the past. Their mandate was to be radically transparent, and they let things spiral and go out of control. And then still, when they did come to the, the table to share, it was not transparent, and those rumors sort of circulated. So I think that there is a handful of the Blackhawks at fault here or the organization of the Chicago Blackhawks. And then, yes, online Twitter taking something way too far and it's becoming harmful. But I will say, I think it also speaks to the super puritanical nature of the NHL. There is, like, like there is still such a, like, old-school mentality to hockey culture. Uh, boys don't cry. We beat each other up when we're really angry. And I love hockey. Everyone knows that. But I think uh, there is this, like, really strange, um, like, we keep things very quiet and hush-hush under the table in the NHL, and clearly, uh, unfortunately, a family of a, an amazing young talent got pulled into the mud in a big, giant joke, and just, like, high on the face of the Blackhawks, high on the face of a lot of people, and embarrassing again. All right. Um, I got two more for us here really quick. Braden, we talked uh, a couple shows ago, or maybe it was last show, frankly, about the in-season tournament. Now, it hasn't come to a conclusion yet, but when we spoke last time, I kind of pushed back and asked sort of, who is this for? We're now a little further inward. I believe we're about to go into the semifinal round here in Vegas in the next coming week. As a basketball fan um, who watches probably every Raptors game that's out there, when you look at how this tournament has played out for the league itself, um, do you think that it will come out as a victory for the league, as a positive thing for the league? Um, sort of where do you come down on how it's played out as a fan now that we've gotten kind of almost three-quarters of the way through the tournament itself? I think uh, I think the league will be more um, positive about its impact than I think the fans will in this first year of it. I do think that we'll see it again, but I think that we've now seen how confusing it all was and... <laughs> I think it remains to be as confusing when you hear interviews with Giannis, somebody who's actually still playing in the tournament, be surprised that you win money at the end of the tournament. It just kind of shows that everyone still doesn't really know what's going on. But at the same time, the NBA is reaping the rewards of this new, fun, exciting in-season tournament. All right. And then the last one I'll give you, uh, speaking of Vegas, we found out uh, this week, I guess today or yesterday, that the NHL has made two decisions at the Board of Governors meeting 
One, uh, that the salary cap, which is currently set, I believe, at around $82 million, will jump to $87 million next season. So the largest and uh, most dramatic increase in the salary cap we've seen since COVID, which kind of stunted the traditional sort of gradual stepping up of the salary cap, which obviously will be a very big benefit to teams like the Oilers who are at the cap uh, and struggling to stay under it. Um, but it also means there are a bunch of other teams that who have money to sort of spend on free agents. The second piece of news, uh, which kind of also has two parts to it, but the, the, the big piece is that the NHL has announced that they have made a deal with uh, Madison Square Garden Entertainment that they will host the upcoming NHL 2024 draft at the Sphere in Las Vegas. They will be the first NA, or the first sports team to utilize the Sphere outside of Formula One. And the other part of that news is that following, I believe, 2029's draft, they will now decentralize. Meaning teams will not all gather in the same place. They will go to the NFL model of teams basically making picks from war rooms in their own cities and that the players will come together, you know, have their photo op with the commissioner uh, on stage at whatever neutral venue. But the, play, the teams themselves won't travel. It'll save the NHL and their teams a bunch of money. All of those things. Braden, you look at all of this sort of shifting in the NHL. Um, where do you kind of come down as a fan? Like, is the draft still a marquee event? Is it something that they should be putting the kind of resources I'm sure that they are putting into, putting it at the sphere? Is that does it matter? Um, how does how do you as a fan kind of react to both parts of that news? If if uh, if holding the draft virtually or holding it at a sphere. Uh, means that the NHL can afford to increase the salary cap. I'm absolutely all for it. The <laughs> I fact, don't know however, if there's a direct correlation. The fact, however, <laughs> the fact that, well, I mean, saving money at any corner, I think sure, for a enough, league like enough. that is really beneficial. But the fact that uh, the cap will go 5 million, as exciting as that yeah. is, maybe for all of us fans at this moment in time, that we're going to be right up strapped to the cap once once we have extensions locked in for certain players here coming up. So okay. I don't yeah. think it's actually going to be all that relevant for our hockey team. Larissa, I'll give you the final <laughs> word. Is the sphere worth it? Oh, gosh. Uh, well, we know... We know Batman really likes Vegas, friends. Uh, <laughs> well, I think so, all sports so, do. <laughs> yes, yeah, we know. But Bat- Batman has a has a love on for for Las Vegas, and uh, so it doesn't shock me sitting up there. I I don't know. I'll be interested to see the decentralized model. I, I think it. I think there's like an excitement of having everyone together. But as Braden said, I I tend to agree. Any money you can save, if it if it can help in some capacity for bonuses or whatever we need, but yeah, five million is a is a small bump uh, in comparison to other teams. Now that I know there are teams without caps, <laughs> uh, baseball, yeah, sports, but yeah, you know, it, it's not going to be a make or break situation for the Oilers. We're we're in tight no matter what. All right. That's our little show for this week. Thank you, Braden. Thank you, Larice. Thanks for having um, me, Jen. As always, please subscribe if you haven't already. And you can check out Larissa's show, the Mother Pucker Podcast, uh, anywhere you get your podcasts, or you can find out more about it on our website, ordinarypodcast.com. That was Hattrick. Hattrick is a member of the Ordinary Podcasting Network. It's produced every week by Jordan Dyler coltman and Braden Dyler coltman you can follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Thanks for listening.
The Ordinary Podcasting Network wishes to acknowledge that the lands on which our conversations take place include Treaty 6 territory, the traditional meeting ground and home for many indigenous peoples, including the Cree, Dene, Soto, Blackfoot, Métis, and the Nakota Sioux peoples, as well as the unceded territories of the Coast Salish peoples, including the territories of the Musqueam, Squamish, and Tsleil-Waututh nations. We acknowledge the many First Nations, Métis, and Inuit whose footsteps have marked these lands for generations. And we extend our appreciation for the opportunity to live, create, and share stories on these territories. The Ordinary Podcasting Network intends to engage in conversations and dialogue, which acknowledge that reconciliation is not a destination, but a journey, and that we remain committed to practicing our craft in a decolonized space.